just like the heart in that way where, the, where, the, where it's like the, the blood in the heart that, that just came from the lungs is oxygen rich. It's rich with life-giving oxygen. Well, in the same way, these six verses are so rich. They're so thick. And, and as I was working through this, I thought, what would it be like? Wouldn't it be cool if we got into every single one of his letters and just cut right into the core of that letter? What if we just, in each and every one of the letters that he writes, we go past all of the introductions and skip all of the ending and just focus on the, the core scripture that informs the rest of the book and find that oxygen, life-giving, rich verses that really speak to the entire book, pull from and, and, and push out to just like our heart. And I thought, ooh, that would be cool. And I don't know what exactly we're going to cover in this, there's 13 letters. I would imagine we're going to be talking a whole lot about Jesus. Because that was kind of the core of, Jesus, of Paul's message was Jesus. One thing I do know is that it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that scripture divides the bone and the marrow. That it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Verse 13 says that uh, uh, all things are open and laid bare before the eyes to whom we must give account, okay? So if we open into that core portion of Scripture, open to the heart of that portion of Scripture, my prayer is that it would also then open our hearts. And so today we're going to kick this series off. We're calling it Open Heart. And that's my prayer. And so if you would grab your Bibles today and open them up to Colossians. We're going to start in Colossians uh, with the core, with that, with that heart of Colossians. So open in your Bibles to Colossians uh, chapter 2 this morning. And I believe and I want to pray in a moment. I normally don't do this. I, I, I pray for our services regularly. I get in early in order to pray over you on Sunday morning. I want to make sure that everything we do here is bathed in prayer. But one of the things I don't often do is pray right at the beginning of the message. But this morning, I really felt like that's exactly what we needed to do. Because I know what happens when someone tries to speak into my heart. I know what happens when I feel like someone's giving me instruction. The initial reaction every single time is deflection and excuse. But I know that scripture, if we allow it, will cut deeply into our hearts. And so this morning, what I want to do, begin by praying that that's exactly what happens. That scripture cuts deeply. And that those deflections, those distractions, those things that we try to excuse, that God would just cut right through those this morning. And, and that it wouldn't just be the scripture that's coming up on the table and we're cutting open. Instead, it would be us. So that's what I want to start just by praying this morning. Would you join with me in that? Holy Spirit, we need you. And Father, I know how this works. I know because I've done it. I've been in it. But I have seen time and time again where my words are insufficient, but your scripture by the power of your Holy Spirit makes change. And I have seen time and time again where we try to throw up distractions and try to throw up deflections, but you cut right through them and into our hearts. And my prayer for this whole series is that's what would happen this morning, God. I pray that as we open to the heart of Colossians, we would also open to the heart of our congregation, the heart of you, of those who are in here, your heart to our heart. God, I pray that that would happen. 
Cut us open today, I pray. Have your way in us, I ask. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to read 6 and 7. Next week is a little different because we have Robert Smith with us. You may not know who Robert Smith is. Robert Smith was the pastor of Praise Assembly from 1986 to 19, or sorry, 1976 to 1983. Um, he's the only former pastor of Praise that since I've been the pastor has not had an opportunity to speak here. So next week he's going to be with us. I've heard he's a gifted communicator. I've not had a chance to meet him. I've had opportunity to talk to him. We believe strongly in having him come. We want to have him here, and so we're actually flying him in, and he's going to be with us next week. He just retired this last year. He presided over a time of phenomenal growth in this church, and so be back next week, and I know you'll be blessed by his ministry. So we're going to kick this off today, and then we're going to keep it going the following week. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So the core of Colossians is this, these two verses, but really, if you want to reduce it to four words, it is so walk in him. And it seems kind of unassuming at first. Like, that's the rich oxygen, rich verse that you're talking about for the entire book of Colossians that pulls from Colossians and pushes out from Col into Colossians, and there is no doubt that that's exactly the case. I love walking. Every morning, or just about every morning, I walk with some of my good friends. And we walk early in the morning, typically it's 5 a.m., and the place that we walk is right up here where Truman, the, the path from Truman to um, Lost Hills Park. And so there's this path that goes back there, and it's five in the morning, and so we have our little flashlights typically, and we're walking along the path. And, and, and a couple of things about that. Number one, normally, I, I don't know that very many people walk that path, and so every single morning there are spider webs. And it's dark, and you can't see them. And you catch it right at the last moment. That's when the light shines on it. You're like, listening, ah, too late. And you're going like this, and we're all doing that. And people, if there were anybody watching, they'd be like, they're crazy. So normally I'll make sure that they're walking out in front, not me. And I'm just like, oh, praise Jesus. I I'm, I'm just really feel like I need to bring up the rear today. But, but I love to go walking, and the walking is not because it's early in the morning, although that's a part of it. It's not because of the fact that I enjoy being out in nature, although that's a part of it. Really, the reason why I enjoy getting together with these guys is because of who they are. I enjoy getting together with people who have had experiences similar to mine and really are focused on the Lord. And I enjoy the conversation that we have, and I enjoy our time talking. I enjoy that, and it's probably one of my favorite parts of my day. I'm sorry, honey. But I do. I love it. I love walking. And, and, and in Mark chapter 7, it, there's actually a verse there where some of the Pharisees come to Jesus' disciples and Jesus, and they talk to Jesus, and they say, what's the matter with you and your disciples? Why don't they walk in the way of the elders? Why don't they walk in the traditions of our elders? And what it came down to was the fact that they didn't wash their hands properly before they ate. Not just that their hands were dirty, it's that they didn't go through the right path and they didn't take all of the right uh, uh, steps in order to wash their hands 
properly. And so they, why don't they walk in the traditions of the elders? In fact, the Jewish people had a word for it, halakha. Meant to walk in the traditions. And yet when we look in the Old Testament and we look in Scripture, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It's not the walking with traditions that we're told that God did with Adam and Eve. We're told that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. Then in Genesis chapter 6, when it's talking about Noah, it says that he walked with God. And in Genesis 24, it says of Abraham, he walked with God. In Genesis 5, Enoch, he walked with God, and then he was no more. (laughs) Right? Like he walked with him, and we get this picture that just like Elijah, maybe God took him from the earth without him dying. An incredible picture. What we see is that God wants us to walk with him. Paul takes that a step further, though, here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. He says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And that seems easy. You just put one foot in front of the other. It's not hard to walk, right? Like, I think we should be able to do that, except for the fact that people are not exactly known for consistency. Right? You might not know this, but apparently injuries while walking have been on the rise in the last decade. Yep. Yep. In fact, there was a study done in 2013. The amount of injuries and people that go to the hospital because of an injury received while walking is through the roof. And it's like they actually think that probably the numbers are a little lower than they should be. Because people don't want to admit how they got injured. And so in this study, they collected these stories of what happened. 24-year-old woman who is looking at her phone and walks face first into a telephone pole and breaks her nose. But we as people, like, get distracted easily. Ooh, shiny. Or LCD screen. You know, that's all we see. 28-year-old man who's on his phone and he walks right into a drainage culvert. 12-year-old boy who's playing Minecraft on his phone and actually gets clipped by a truck. He survived, but because he was playing Minecraft, he missed everything that was going on around him. A tourist who walks off the end of a pier because she's on Facebook. A man who's texting his boss, and he walked, <laughs> he was walking a path, and it took him right in front of a grizzly bear. And he had no idea what was happening. And there was a bear 10 feet away from him, injured because he wasn't paying attention and walked right up to a bear. See, this is the thing. If we can't walk, how are we going to walk in him? If we get distracted trying to put one foot in front of the other, how are we going to make sure we're walking in him? Thankfully, Paul tells us. And it is my greatest desire that that's what I would be known for. That it would be said of me, Alan was someone who walked in him. So Paul tells us how that happens. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Okay? As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk. As, so. In other words, in the same way that you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Similarly to how you walked 
or you receive the Lord. That's how you walk in him. Okay, this is big. Those two words, so and as, are important for us to catch in order to understand what Paul is saying here. So, or as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So how did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Well, thankfully, Colossians tells us, and this verse is pulling from what Colossians just told us. If you skip back a page to Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, it tells us, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So how did we receive Christ? I'll tell you, by grace. We received by grace. Who did this? Well, it was a gift from God because he qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. He delivered us. He transferred us. It is a gift from him. So as we received by grace, so we walk by grace. Okay, if, if you don't think that's profound, it really, really is. Because a lot of times we receive him by grace and then we walk on our own. Or we receive by grace and then we think we've got to walk without any help from him. No, as so, as we received by grace, so we walk by faith or by grace. Next one. And we know that this is the case from other scriptures as well, but here in Colossians verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the hope or in the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So we received through faith. We received by grace through faith. You've heard that maybe a time or two. But as we have received by grace through faith, so we walk by grace through faith. In the same way that we received him. And, and again, we try to layer on top of it. It's like, okay, this is the way we received him. But now let's add a few things when we're talking about walking this thing out. Let's, let's add in other things like making sure that we're reading the right scripture and not, not a different version of the Bible. And let's add in complexity just to make it harder for the walking. No, as we received, so we walk. Okay? So as we receive by grace through faith, now also we walk by grace through faith. But there's more to it than that. Go back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. What did we receive? We received Christ Jesus, the Lord. And that word received is the word that is used when somebody gives you something, you take it, you receive it. And, and it's like a teaching or a gift or something along those lines. And this is a Bible. I forgot my Bible at home today. So I got here this morning and I'm like, oh, don't have a Bible. I wonder if I'm going to need that for church. Yeah, probably. Might, might need it a little bit. 
So there's a Bible that was up on my shelf, and it's an important Bible. It's actually a Bible we bought when I was installed as pastor. And in the back of this Bible is these inscriptions. There's one from a representative of Pastor Albert Pyle. And there's one here from Doug Clay, and there's one here from Billy Burris, and there's one here from Ken Fent. And should Jesus not come back, a long time in the future... I'll write something in this when I hand it down to the next pastor. At least I hope so. Got no plans for mutiny, I hope. (laughs) But this next Sunday, Robert Smith is going to come. and I'm going to have him write something in here as well. I think that's appropriate. And there's something about just handing this down along the way. And if Jesus doesn't come back, then this will always be here. And so it's an important Bible for, for me for that reason. And That's the word that's used here for received, but the question that we have to ask ourselves is what is it we receive? What does it say? Some people think that it's talking about the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that's not what it says. We received Christ Jesus the Lord. We received him, not what he brought, okay? And some of us get a part of that, but not all of that. Paul uses a very specific phrase here. This is incredibly unique. This is the only place in Scripture where you find this exact structure of the name. Christ Jesus the Lord. He is very clearly pointing something out to the people who read. He wants them to stop and catch it because this is the only place you find this in Scripture. He is the Christ, the anointed king, prophet, and priest. He is Jesus the Lord saves. He is also the Lord Right? And some of us are okay with a part of that. Like we're good with the Jesus part, but not the other part. We're good with the come and save me, but not the other part of it. So who is Christ Jesus the Lord? Well, Colossians tells us. Skip back to Colossians 1.15. He's pulling here from here in this verse, 15 down to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. It is not just that which he brings that we receive. We receive him as Christ Jesus the Lord. Saul loved David. He loved him. When he saved him from Goliath. Oh man, he showered gifts on him. Until God anointed him to sit on Saul's throne. And some of us love Jesus, the one who saves, until God has anointed him to sit on our throne. And then we start throwing spears. We don't receive a part We don't just receive what he brought. Jesus is not the UPS man. He did not say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And the one who hears and opens the door, I will make him sign for it and drop off salvation. No, he said, I will come in and dine. 
We receive him, not just what he brings. Oh, come in and dine. We receive Christ Jesus the Lord. We don't receive just a teaching. We don't just walk in a teaching. See, we don't walk in the creed. We walk in the Christ. And that's what needs to be our desire. So as we received Christ Jesus the Lord, so we walk in Christ Jesus the Lord. And, and I love Colossians 3, 3 through 4. Oh, my God. Because it says that we are hidden in Christ Jesus. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We are hidden in Christ. That's what it means to walk in him. And it's that in part that I guess is really the hardest part to understand. Like we get walking with him. We get having him along with us for the ride. But walking in him, like Getting our minds wrapped around that picture is incredibly difficult. But Paul continues in verse 7. Here's what he says. He gives us what that in him means, what it means to walk in him. And he gives us these metaphors. And I love these metaphors, but I also hate these metaphors. I love them and I hate them for the same reason that when somebody uses a metaphor and they take two metaphors and put them together or two sayings and you're like, you just massacred that. You know what I'm saying? Like when somebody says to you, now listen, you've buttered your bread, now you need to lie in it. <laughs> you're burning the midnight oil on both ends. Man, you marched to the beat of a dead horse. <laughs> or Rob Peter to pay the piper. You know, when you hear that, you're like... No, 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 no. But that's what Paul does here. When you read this, he uses this metaphor and he mixes it up. He says, we're rooted like a tree, built up like a house. So I guess that's like a tree house. <laughs> I think I know what Paul's trying to say, but it's also incredibly beautiful because when you look at it, he says, this is what it means to walk in him. It means that we are rooted in him. Rooted gives us an impression like, okay, once you're planted, it's done. Like, you don't move it around. If you have a garden, you don't, you don't say, boy, I think those cucumbers would look better where the, the, the tomatoes are. And those zucchinis, man, I wish I could just flip them with the strawberries and go, why not? Once it's rooted, it's there. I love the trees that are right outside along Glenstone. Oh, man, I know they're still small. They're maples, but we're coming up on that time of year when they're going to start changing. And every time I see them, I, I see them, I see them what they're going to be. Do you, do you ever do that? I, I see what I, I hope and I pray and I pray over those trees. I pray over them and I say, oh, God, may that tree find good root and may it grow and may it become what it can look like. And when people are driving along Glenstone this time of the year, when they start to change, oh, God, may they give you glory. And I sit in my office sometimes and drink a coffee and look out at those trees. And you're like, I'm glad I'm paying my tithe. Anyways, and I drink that coffee and I stare at those trees and I think, boy, I wish every single one of them were five feet to the north. Yeah. 
Because if you take a tree that's already begun to root and you move it five feet away, it's going to die. Once it's in there, it's in there. It's solid. We don't need Christ at the beginning and then something else a couple days later or a week later or a month later or a year later or a decade later. He is all in all sufficiency and he is all we need. So once we've received him, we stay rooted in him. And that word rooted is very clearly, it's like, what has been done. It is, the word is having been rooted, okay? But being rooted is not just about not moving. Being rooted means that it's happened, but then there are lasting effects that come from it, right? A rooted tree doesn't just not move. That's great. Woohoo! But there's something else that happens to that tree from those roots. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The roots go down, and then we then it pulls nutrients. It pulls water. It pulls sustenance. We're rooted in Christ, rooted in him. That means we don't move from him, but it also means we're pulling constantly from him. And then there's a result in Colossians. Go back to Colossians chapter 1, verses uh, 10 through 11. What does it say? So as to... Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He says, he says, listen, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. What I love about this picture of being rooted in him is that it goes back to that hidden thing, I think. Because you don't see the roots. You don't see my relationship with Jesus Christ. If anybody in this room, if you would see that, you would see it with me because I'm always up on stage and talking a bunch. But you don't know my relationship with him. You don't see the mornings. You don't see the worship. You don't see the prayer. And I am so thankful that that's mine and his alone. I am hidden in him just like those roots. But the thing about the roots is the roots bring the fruits. So you may not see that part of me and my relationship with him. But boy, you better see the results of it. So if we're rooted in him, we're hidden in him, but we don't hide. It's on display. Rooted means we don't have to move, but it also means that we're pulling our nutrients and then there's a result from it. He says we're rooted in him, but then also we're rooted in him, but we're also built up in him. Really interesting thing about this word built up is it kind of has this, well, no, not kind of, it is a continual thing. It is being built up in him, like building on a house. Right? So when Liz and I first bought our first house, we bought 
we, we had one built. It was in a neighborhood, and they gave us the plan, and then we had them build it, and it took a while. And, like, every time we drive by, we're like, is anything at all happening on that house? I'm pretty sure there's nothing. Great. And every now and then you'd see something happen. You'd see shingles go up on the roof, and you'd see windows go in. But a lot of times, like, you didn't see anything. What we didn't know was that there was plumbing going in. There was electrical going in. So we went in, and we started taking pictures regularly, and we'd, we'd climb across, like, the, the plank to get in. And we, it was just such a fun thing to watch then the drywall go on, watch the painting and the staining of the trim and then the flooring, and then the cabinetry, and then on top of the cabinetry, there was that moment when we were coming up on the move-in. We had all our appliances come in. We closed on the house, and it was ours, and we walked in for that first time, and we looked around, and it was a beautiful thing. And yet, even when we moved in, it wasn't done. Anybody who owns a house knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's a continual thing. Like you always can think of more things that could be done, right? Some of us have longer honey-do lists than others. But it's a continual thing. When there's more money, when there's more time, when there's an opportunity to get it done, there are things that are on the list. And, and for us, one thing, our builder built our house right after they built our house, they went bankrupt, which is super encouraging. And uh, right after they, they, they never got to one part, which was on our, our housing uh, agreement thing that we were supposed to do with our neighborhood, was they were supposed to put a tree in our front yard. It's supposed to be like an eight-foot tree. We didn't need an eight-foot tree. Give us a five-foot tree, and we're happy. And so the neighborhood kept getting after these builders because they, they didn't do that in any of them. It's supposed to be an eight-foot tree. Got to go on that. And so we, for four and a half years, we finally were moving out of the house. And one day we drive up to our house, and there's this branch sticking out of the ground. It wasn't a tree. It wasn't eight-foot. It was like a foot and a half. And legitimately, it looked like they broke a branch off of somebody else's tree and stuck it in our ground. <laughs> Just in time for us to move. That's the thing about it, is it, it's not like a, you get it done, you get it built, it's a continual thing. And just when you think you got it all together, it's probably time to move out. So you might not want things to be done quite yet. That's all I'm saying. It's continual. This is a continual process. And for those of you who have unfinished homes... For those of you who look around at your house and maybe your honeydew list is long, first off, husbands, let me just say, you are the perfect image of Christ Jesus. It's a continual process. Just tell your wife that. Number two, for those of you who look at your house and be like, when is this ever going to be done? In those moments, I encourage you to say, oh God, thank you that you are not yet done with me and that it is a process. And I continue to be built up in you. Being built up in him. Continues on. And then he says, established in the faith. And established in the faith just as you were taught. Really interesting thing again about this word is that the word established 
is not a past done thing. It's a legal word which talks about our standing before him. But it's being established in the faith, which, boy, you got to stop and you got to think about that. Because when we think of our relationship with God, when we think about what he did for us, we think it's done. It's finished, right? Like, it is finished. Right after this passage is 2, 13 through 15. And you, who were dead in your uh, trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Boy, that sure sounds like it's done. Right? It sure sounds to me when I read that, Like it's finished. He nailed it to the cross. And it is. So then why in the world would it say being established? If it's a legal word and we just read a legal passage that comes right after it, then how can it be being established if it's already done? Well, the only thing I can think of is that it ties to as just as you were taught. Right? Like, so it's not that we can't, Okay, it's not like we can do something to earn this. It's not like it's a process of us earning it. Instead, it is a growing realization of what has already happened. The more I grow, the more I realize that Jesus Christ is the only thing I need. And believe me, that's not a motto, and he's not my mascot. I'm talking about the fact that he is the Lord, and I realize every single day truly That if I have Christ, there is nothing else that I need. So the more I grow in that and more I realize that, I realize that anything added to Christ is heresy. If someone tells you Christ is not enough, that's heresy. If he himself said that I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, how are you going to add to that? Christ Jesus is enough. And the more I grow, the more I realize there's nothing I can do to make him love me more. And the more I cling to him and recognize that fact. You want to know how I know that? Because so far, verse 7, all three of the words we've read, rooted, built up, established, every single one of them is passive which might not mean anything to you. Here's what it means. I'm not the one who's doing it. Someone else is doing it in me. I don't root myself. I don't build myself up. I don't establish myself. He rooted me. He is building me up. And he is establishing me. It's all a gift. What is great is the core of the gospel was not good advice, good technique, good response, good acting. It was good news. It was good news. 
Jesus Christ is all we need. I heard somebody say we need to stop asking ourselves what would Jesus do and start reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done. He rooted us. He is building us up. He is establishing us. And he is the one who is doing it all. What I love about verse 7 is that it only tells us to do one thing. And it's none of those three. It's what comes next. This is the first thing that is active. And this is the first thing that is a command. Okay? 2, 6, and 7. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. First thing we're commanded to do. Abounding in thanksgiving. That's it. And that word abounding, I love it because it really is overflowing. The picture here is of a jar that you keep pouring it in till it can't hold anymore. And it just starts coming right back out. It's like a river that there's too much water and so it overflows the banks. The one thing we're commanded to do in verse 7 is to respond with thanksgiving because he's poured too much in. And that is big. And Paul is very clear that the best indication of where we are in our walk with God is how well we return thanks to him. The first indication that there's a problem is that we spend more time complaining than giving thanks. And boy, that better slow us down a moment and start asking how much do I return thanksgiving to him? How much do I pour that back out? Because if it's not being poured into overflowing, maybe there is a problem. It says, abounding in thanksgiving. And if Philippians is the book about joy and rejoicing, then Colossians is the book about giving thanks to God. So he pulls and he pushes this out all through the scriptures. And you might say, oh man, but I don't have that much to give thanks for. <laughs> I've got a picture I want to show you in just a moment. Don't go there yet. But I want to tell you who this is first because for every young preacher, there's the first commentary you get is probably Matthew Henry's commentary. It's like the cheapest. It's Probably the oldest. At this point, I think you can get it for free online. You Google something and say, what does this mean? Probably there'll be some website that comes up with something from Matthew Henry Commentary. He was just a pastor of a few small churches. But then he wrote a commentary, and that commentary became used by the giants of the faith, like Spurgeon. You know, I mean, like, all of these people look back to this commentary. Here's a picture of Matthew Henry. I want to share it with you. I love this picture of him. There's some people, when I see a picture of them, even if it's a drawing... I feel like, boy, that person's cuddly looking. <laughs> and I see Matthew Henry, and I know it's weird, and please forgive me, but I just want to cuddle with him. <laughs> Matthew Henry one day was walking along the road, and while he was walking along the road, he got robbed. And so he goes and he sees his friends and he's like, I just got robbed. He goes, I am so incredibly thankful. And he said, 
What do you have to be thankful for? Because while I've had some time to think about this, I've got four things to be thankful for. Number one, I am so thankful that this was the first time. I've never been robbed before. And I've never thanked God for that. I'm thankful I've never been robbed before. Number two, I'm thankful that they took all my money, but they didn't get much. (laughs) So number three, I am so thankful that they took my money, but they didn't take my life. And he goes, and I am so thankful that it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Thanksgiving is an indication of walking in him. And it is the best indication. And so ask yourself, how much do I give thanks Because if there's a disconnect, it's probably with the whole walking in him part. Back to 2, 6 through 7. Here's what it says. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. There are 359 verses in the Bible that mention the word walk. 359. I read every single one of them this week. And as I was reading through them, I was struck by one fact in particular. That of these 359 verses that include walking, not one of them include the destination. Every time the scripture uses the word walk, it's not about the destination that they're going to. Now, when the scripture talks about running and Paul mentions running, he talks about fixing your eyes on the prize and keeping your eyes locked on Jesus Christ. But when it's walking, there's never a destination included in that verse. There might be a different word that talks about the destination, but the the walking is always, it's not about the destination, it's about the manner in which we walk. It's about the way the steps are taken. It's about the companions that we are with. It's about the journey, not the destination. Every time. See, I think sometimes when we feel like we're not rooted, but we feel hollow, or we feel like we're broken down instead of built up, or we feel rudderless instead of feeling established, that we think, boy, I just need to be better. And that is the wrong focus. If you feel that way, the solution is to focus on Christ. Don't focus on the creed. Focus on the Christ. Don't focus on trying to be better. Focus on being in him. And these other things will come out of that. I love Luke 24, and we don't have it for the screen, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Luke 24 is right after Jesus is raised from the dead. What I love about it is that what is the first thing he does Well, he finds two people walking on a road. Verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. That's where they were going. 
And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing them. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? He goes and he walks with two disciples. This is right after he comes into that glorified body. The first thing he does with it is he walks. God desires to walk with us. And he desires that we walk in him. And this is the core of Colossians. And I think we need to ask ourselves, is it as great a desire for me to walk in him as it is for him to walk with us? Father, I thank you that